Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit dogwood.church. Join us now as Pastor Keith shares today's message. Good morning, everybody. Great to see you. And uh, always so good to be with you. I love you, and it's just so good to be with with the church family every Sunday morning. Uh, You know, our church uh, has always believed from the Scriptures that every member of the church is to have a ministry in the church. We're trying to help all of you find your strategic one that God's placed uh, in your heart and prepared you for, but also that every member is on mission for Christ in the world in three realms, personally, locally, and globally. Uh, Allison and I represented our church in a with a meeting of about 30 other church leaders this week, uh, of churches of the same mindset and theology, that every member is a minister in the church and every member is to be on mission uh, in the world. And uh, it was, it was uh, good to be with like-minded people. I, I, so a, a need surfaced there. I came across um, a need. You know, we discovered our church travels a lot. You travel... Uh, on vacation, you travel sometimes intentionally on Christian mission, and, and scores and scores of our church family travel internationally on business um, for your your work uh, each week. And I just, if, if some of you, like in the last twelve months, ninety, we were in ninety three countries. Dogwood people were in ninety three countries uh, that we know of. And so, there's a pastor that I need to make contact with in Sri Lanka. So. You find yourself headed there for whatever reason, I need to know it. So, okay. You're probably not going there on vacation, but you might be going there for other reasons. And, uh, but I need to know it. So let me, let me know if you're going anytime in the next week or the next few months. That'd be, that'd be great. Uh, because when we go, we tell people about Jesus. And, uh, you know, Jesus, the Bible says... Is uh, described several ways. He described it with the word Savior. And uh, that word Savior and the word heal or healer in the New Testament uh, come from the same Greek word. So when Jesus saves us, when Jesus comes to us with His power and His love and grace in our lives, He heals what is broken in us. There's something broken in us that has messed us up. He heals what's broken in us. When Jesus comes to us, He he heals what's broken between us and tends to bring about the power of reconciliation between people and people, peace uh, on earth. And uh, Jesus, when He comes to us, heals us from those things that have separated us from being in God's family and in the kingdom of, uh, of heaven. And that's good, but there's a deal. All That requires a ticket. Reminded me, when I was thinking about this this week, I was rem- uh, reminded me, Pastor Jack, of Willy Wonka. Uh, you know, the golden ticket. Everybody needs a gold. This, this requires, this saving, this healing of Jesus requires a ticket. A golden ticket. And that ticket is faith. Uh, the Bible says it this way, that we all who are saved are healed by Jesus. Are, we are saved by grace through the golden ticket of faith. And, but we have a problem. That's a fuzzy spiritual word. Uh, 
I was talking to a young man about faith one time. He said, the concept of faith to me is just so unclear. It's so uncertain. It makes me feel like I'm trying to nail jello to a tree. So what is faith? What is it really? Uh, how does it come to us? And, and how does it work? How does it work so that these things happen in our hearts and lives? Well, as I, I thought about these things this week, I was reminded of an incident in the, the life and ministry of Jesus, so important that two of the gospel writers recorded it. They, they wrote about it. It's found in the writings of uh, the Apostle Matthew in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 13. And it's found in the writings of the great historian of the life and ministry of Jesus, Luke. In Luke's Gospel, in chapter uh, 10, verses 1, excuse me, chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. That's where I want you to turn. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, we will use them every week, turn to the Gospel of Luke. It is found in the New Testament, kind of the, the back third of the Bible, uh, Third book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, chapter 7, uh, beginning in verse 1. And let me read this while you follow along. When he, being Jesus, when he had concluded saying all this to the people. Now, what is all this? Well, if you back up, uh, you will see that in, in chapter 6, Jesus has just finished his great sermon on the plain. Uh, it's much of the same content that was in his sermon on the mount. And he had just concluded by telling all of that great crowd of people who listened to him that they were to actually uh, apply his teaching, all of his teaching to their lives uh, in order that they may build solid lives with God in this life and the next. In this life and the next. And so when he had finished saying all this, back to verse 1, to all the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. A centurion's servant who was highly valued by him was sick and about to die. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders to him, requesting him to come and save the life of his servant. When they reached Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy for you to grant this, because he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. Jesus went with them. And when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to tell him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, since I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. That is why I didn't even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under my command. I say to this one, go. And he goes into another, come. And he comes and to my servant, do this. And he does it. Jesus heard this and was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd, following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found so great a faith even in Israel. When those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant in good health. And this is God's Word, and may He open our eyes that we see wonderful things from His Word, and may He open our minds that we may understand uh, the Scriptures, and may He unlock our hearts that we may obey and take action 
uh, on it. Well, as we've said, Jesus had finished. Here's the setting. He had finished his sermon on the plain. And uh, in just a short distance away was the, the city or the town of Capernaum. Now, on the map, on the, the screen, you'll see Capernaum was located in Galilee on the northwestern shore, very top northwestern shore of the Sea of Galilee, only about two and a half miles west of where the Jordan River entered the north end of the Sea of, uh, of Galilee. Jesus spent much time in uh, Capernaum. Hey guys, if you could give me a little more monitor, that'd help me up here so I don't shout at people. Thanks. And so uh, this is where he gathered, and all that crowd of people who had been listening to him teach in the Sermon on the Plain came into Capernaum with him. Now, a Roman centurion was stationed and lived in that town. What was a centurion? Well, a centurion was an officer in the Roman army, and they were common all over Palestine in New Testament times, uh, they were the backbone of that great historic Roman army. They were the equivalent in rank, uh, approximately equivalent in rank to our modern day captain in the U.S. Uh, US army. They got their name because they were usually in command over approximately 100 soldiers. You know, century, century, 100 years, century, 100 soldiers, centurion officer over approximately 100 soldiers. Got it? Got it? Got it? Okay, that's, that's, that's them. They were usually men of great integrity, great skill, highly respected, highly reliable uh, men. They reported directly to the Roman generals and the generals directly to uh, the emperor of Rome, Caesar. So they were just a step or two away from uh, the emperor. And uh, very important, they were also well paid, by the way. They were well paid. And we see them all throughout the New Testament. Now this particular centurion had a servant or a slave who was sick. And it says that he was highly valued by him. Now that does not mean that he said, oh, this is a valuable possession. It's a term that meant he, he, had, he had heartfelt concern and respect and admiration that he loved this servant. Now in Matthew's writings, in Matthew chapter 8, we discovered that this servant was a young man, possibly in his teenage years because he calls him a boy in that, in that account. And so he, he was dearly loved, uh, cared for, by his, uh, by his master, the centurion, which is a little bit unusual why this is stated in here. And he was sick. He was sick. The Bible says that he was at home. He was paralyzed. He was in terrible agony. He was sick to the point of death. It appeared that he was on his deathbed. And the centurion heard about Jesus. Now, he knew about Jesus. He'd been in the area. And, of course, word had spread all over Galilee by this time. Uh, about Jesus and His miracles of healing and His, his healing power and His amazing uh, teaching. He'd heard about Jesus and he also heard He was in town. And so He sent for Jesus. Now, what happens next in this story teaches you and teaches me much about faith, about the right kind of faith, about what Jesus here calls great 
faith. And what it is, how it comes, how it works, and what we are to do about it. So listen, listen closely. Now, some of you may be saying, it's possible that some of you here could be saying, now, Pastor Keith, I appreciate this informative talk, but honestly, I've never had faith. I don't, I'm not a person of faith. And you remind me of my, my neighbor, um, who first person I met in my neighborhood uh, and became my good friend very quickly in the neighborhood. Uh, of course, I always show my colors early when I meet somebody. You know, I tell I'm a I'm a Christian and I'm a pastor. That way, it saves them some embarrassment uh, and and me some trouble. Uh, so uh, and so he came to me one day. We would usually meet, but we'd get home from work about the same time, and we'd meet out at the mailbox and just talk for thirty minutes. Um, he came to me one day and he said, "You know, I, I want you to tell me about your faith." He said. I've never had faith. He said, I've always admired people who did have faith. I've just never been able to have any. And uh, I'd like to know about it. Now, that may be you. What do you say? Well, what about that, Pastor, if I don't have faith? Well, let me answer the question this way. Very respectfully, you do have faith. In fact, take a look on the screen. Every human being is naturally a person of faith. Just in different things. God made all human beings, somebody named Dave Richardson taught me this, to be people of faith, people of, quote, religion or a spiritual nature. So faith, faith comes to all of us naturally in, the, in, in one sense. We just have it in different, in different things. You see, if you don't believe in Jesus, it's not because you don't believe anything. It's not because you have no spiritual ability or no faith. It's because you have a deep, abiding, maybe even a fundamental faith in something or someone else. Some idea. Some idea. Everybody believes something, and what they believe requires some measure of faith. Everybody believes something, and, every, and that belief requires at least a measure of faith. Uh, you know, it's very common for people to say, well, nobody can be sure about God. It's very common for people to say uh, to people who have faith in God or faith in, in Jesus as God, say, ah, you think you're right about God? You think you have it, you're sure about God and who He is and what He's like? Nobody can be sure about Jesus. Nobody can be sure about Jesus um, do you think you're right about Jesus being God or, or that there is a God? You can't prove God absolutely. You can't prove God absolutely and you can't prove absolutely that Jesus is God without any... that You can't prove it absolutely. Well, okay. But how can you be sure about that? How can you be sure uh, about... How can you be so sure that no one can be sure about God? How can you be so sure that no one can be sure or be right about Jesus? How can you be so sure that nobody can be right? You can't be sure absolutely. There may be some evidence, but it requires... There's a gap there between you and what's provable. It requires a step of faith. That is a faith statement. That belief in itself requires faith. 
That's what I mean by God created human beings with the capacity to have faith, and everybody believes in something, and everything that everybody believes requires a measure of faith. A measure of faith. Now, obviously, you cannot prove that nobody can be sure about God. You cannot prove absolutely that no one can be sure that Jesus is God. And so that is a statement of faith. And you are basing your entire life and your eternal destiny on that belief. On faith in that belief. The reason you don't believe in Jesus is not because uh, you don't believe in anything. It's because you believe in something else uh, fundamentally and deeply. And it's a statement of faith. Everybody believes in something and that belief takes at least a measure of faith. It takes faith to believe in Jesus. It takes faith not to believe in Jesus. Either way, we're basing our entire life and destiny on something that we cannot prove absolutely. Both take a step of faith. Both take a step of faith. Well, the centurion and the Jewish leaders in this story were people of faith, but they had different kinds of faith. Here we go. Take a look at it. So first of all, faith comes to us naturally. But it also comes to us problematically. Take a look at this. Great faith, as Jesus describes it, tends to come to us problematically. Now here's what I mean by that. Notice in the story that the Roman centurion did not call on Jesus until there was a problem. It came to him problematically. He called on Jesus as a result of a, of a problem. The servant who he loved, who he prized, uh, respected, valued greatly, who was dear to his heart, was sick and dying. It had interrupted his life. There was a great, great problem. And he started asking the big questions. Now, I, we don't usually, you and I, human beings don't usually ask the big, great faith and the big life questions um, and call on Jesus until something goes wrong. Well, there's something wrong with that? Nope, I think God uses it. I, you know, I, I know people question people who get jailhouse religion, but I'm like a buddy of mine who I actually was a character witness for him in court. He was a character. He was in court. He went to prison. And, uh, but he had come to faith in a conversation with me and Allison. And, uh, and, and they were just drill. Oh, the, the, the prosecuting attorney was just beating him up on the stand about it and said, well, yeah. And he, and he finally said, so you just come to faith now? And he said, couldn't think of a better time. I said, Amen. Amen. Faith comes to us problematically. Faith comes to us problematically. And um, we don't, but we don't usually start asking the big questions about life in eternity when life is, is good. Questions like, why am I here? Where did I come from? To whom am I going? Where am I going? What on earth am I here for? And is there a God who can answer these questions? We don't usually ask those questions when the sky is blue and we are immersed in the day-to-day busyness and fun of life. Life is good and getting up and getting dressed and going to work and playing with the kids and going fishing life. We don't ask those big questions then. Not usually. I know... I know we got a couple of meteorologists hanging around here, and I meant to confirm this, but they tell me 
uh, that from time to time, lightning can come out of a blue sky. I don't know that I've ever seen that. It made me a little nervous. But uh, I think it's rare. Most of the time it comes when the, when the sky's cloudy. Uh, when life is, is, is hard. Uh, on, it, great faith questions come when our life gets interrupted by a problem. Not always a terrible problem, but life gets interrupted. This is graduation season. I've enjoyed this weekend seeing all of you posting your college and university graduation celebrations, and they're going to keep happening for the next few weekends, and then high schools are going to graduate. I enjoyed riding up the parkway today and seeing all the signs in front of the neighborhoods, the banners with the names of all of the high school graduates. Yes, 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 yes. It's a great time, but it reminded me. It took me all the way back to June of 1970 when I graduated from uh, Bremen High School in downtown Bremen, Georgia. And, um, you know, after, a, after a, a, a week trip with my buddies to Daytona Beach, which that's all we'll say about that, we did make it back. Uh, the Vietnam War was still raging. Uh, some of those buddies had already enlisted in the armed services and, and left town. Some of my lifelong friends had already enrolled in college for the summer semester. They wanted to get with it, and they were gone. Small town. And uh, I remember one evening, that second week back in town after graduation, uh, after driving around trying to find somebody to hang out with, and nobody was anywhere. Not a good night for an extrovert. About the time it got dark, I pulled back into my parents' driveway and just turned off the car and turned on the radio. You could pick up, you had to wait till dark, you could pick up uh, WLS, the big 89, Chicago. Oh, yeah, you old rockers, you know what that's. I'll leak you two rockers on the front. Yep, WLS. You know, have you ever listened to WLS? Yep, yep, got a few. And uh, so, Mike, I had that on just quietly. And I found myself for the first time, my life was, had been interrupted. All of the fun and the friends and the rec of high school was over. And I found myself, for the first time in my memory, asking serious questions. And I thought, okay, what's my life about? What's my life about really? My parents, I've lived almost for 18 years, and my, pa- and my parents and my school have been preparing me to go off to college so that I can get a degree, so that I can get a job, so that I can get up in the mornings and go to work and earn money, so that I can buy food and clothing and and a place to live, so that I can keep myself alive. So that I can get up in the morning and go to work and earn money, so that I can buy food and clothing and a place to live, so that I can keep myself alive. So that I can get up in the morning and go to work and earn money, and buy food and clothing and a place to live so I can keep myself alive. And I'm going to do this for 60, 70, hopefully 80 years. And then I'm, I'm going to die anyway. Well, there must be something else, some other reason. There's got to be a better reason than that, right? Couldn't think of one. I knew there had to be something. I couldn't think of one. And it rattled my reality. It 
rattled my reality and I began asking the big questions about great faith. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Is there any meaning to this? What on earth am I here for? And is there a God who can answer my questions? Faith does come to us naturally. We all believe something that requires faith. But great faith tends to come to us problematically. When our lives are interrupted by a problem, it can be a terrible problem or it can just be a turn of the page to a new chapter in, um, in, in life. And so, uh, but to be, to be healed, to be saved by Jesus, we must have the right kind of faith. Well, what is it? What is the right kind of faith? Well, in our story, in this account of Jesus, we find two different kinds of faith. One is the wrong kind, one is the right kind. The wrong kind of faith says it this way. Praise, I am worthy, so do what I ask. That's the wrong kind of faith. That's not great faith. That's not saving faith. So look at the story. The centurion heard about Jesus and he asked the Jewish leaders, probably the Jewish leaders of the synagogue, to go to Jesus for him. Now, the Jewish leaders did not believe in Jesus at this time. They, they had witnessed Him. They'd followed Him around. They'd seen His healing power and His miraculous power. They'd heard Him teach, but they were confused by Him and they were anxious about Him. They didn't really believe in Jesus at this time, but they did care about their Roman centurion Gentile benefactor. They did care about Him. And so they said, yes, we'll go to Jesus for you. And so they went to Jesus for him and they pleaded with Jesus. They begged Jesus. They urged Jesus. They implored Jesus to come help this man. They said this, he is worthy and deserves to have you help him. He deserves your help, Jesus. He deserves it. And then they went on to say why. He loves our nation, which means that he was probably what they called a God-fearer that he'd, he'd, he'd given up on the silly notion of the pantheon and all of the Roman gods and had become fascinated by the, the one God of the Jews, uh, but he had refused to convert to Judaism, to be a proselyte. He was a God-fearer. He loves our nation, and he even built our house of worship called the synagogue, paid for it out of his own pocket. He deserves your help. We see from the story that he was a humble man. We see from the story that he was a compassionate man. He cared for his servant deeply. And we see from the story he was a wealthy man who used his wealth generously to benefit other people. And so the Jewish leaders, while they did not have faith in Jesus, they did have faith in their own morality, their own moral goodness and virtue as the way to be accepted by God and enter his kingdom. And they thought that this Roman centurion had done enough to be morally at the level that he would be accepted by God and that Jesus should help him. Now, the Jewish leaders would have prayed this. They would have prayed to Jesus in their time of need these words. We are worthy, so do what we ask. You owe us. You de we deserve this. But great faith that amazes Jesus, the kind that, that brings his saving and healing power into our lives has a completely different foundation. It has an entirely different uh, perspective. It is from, an, in, uh, from a different paradigm of faith altogether, a different kind of faith, not the same kind of faith, completely other than these guys. It says this, I am not worthy, so would you please do what I ask? 
quo. I am not worthy. So would you please do what I ask? Now, what does the centurion say here? Now, look at him. The, the Jewish leaders went and said, Jesus, come help him. He's worthy. He's worthy. He's worthy. First thing he says to Jesus, sends a message is, I'm not worthy. He says it right there. I am not worthy. But he does not say, listen closely. He does not say, I am not worthy, so do not do what I ask. No. If he did, he would have had the same kind of faith that the Jewish elders had. Now, he would have disagreed with them about his own worthiness, but he had the same kind of faith. They said, he's worthy, do what he asks. He'd say, I'm not worthy, so don't do what I ask. That's the same kind of faith. It's whether you deserve it or not deserve it. They would have had the same foundation. But even though he would have been disagreeing, he would have had this believe the same thing because their approach to God, the wrong one, is this. They would say they believe that God's power and healing comes into the lives of those who are worthy, not to the unworthy. They believe God's power comes into the lives of those who by their own moral virtue deserve it. That's the wrong kind of faith. That is not great faith. That is not saving faith. No, the centurion does not ask, I'm I'm worthy, so do what I ask. He does not say, I'm not worthy, don't do what I ask. He has a completely different foundation, a completely different faith, and here it is. Listen, he said, I am not worthy even to have you come under my roof. I'm not worthy even to come meet you on the street. That's why I sent messengers. But I ask you to bring your power and healing into my life on the basis of something other than my own moral goodness, which is lacking terribly. He had a, listen, a wholesome, healthy awareness of his utter sinfulness. He had a wholesome awareness of his sin. And Jesus says, that's it. He says, that's it. Great faith that brings the saving and healing power of Jesus into our lives has the right kind of foundation, the right perspective. Uh, It is based on the grace of God, not our own moral goodness. That's why I I like how that great financial teacher, Dave Ramsey, always answers his callers when they call in on his radio show and says, Hey, Dave, how you doing? And he says, You'll know that better than the Bible. That's good. Y'all listen to Dave? Good. He said, better than I deserve. Right. Jesus would say, yep, that's it. That's it. That is the right kind of faith. And so, uh, but also great faith is not only the right kind of faith, it has the right object. Great faith has the right object. It's going to be on the screen. Write this down. Great faith has the right object. Now look at verses 7 and 8. In verses 7 and 8, the centurion told Jesus, he said, I am a man under authority. And he understood how power and authority works. That, that he said, in and of myself, I have no authority. My authority and power comes because of my official relationship with the generals and then the emperor. And I am under their authority. Therefore, I have soldiers under my authority I tell one go and he goes, one come and he comes, one do this and he does it. And he said, he recognized the power and the authority in Jesus because of what he had seen and heard 
about Jesus. He knew, he recognized that he was one who was uniquely close and related somehow to the Jewish God. Now, he didn't have a full Christian understanding of who Jesus was. He had a substandard understanding of who Jesus was. He did not understand that Jesus himself was God come to earth in the form of a man. He did not understand that he was God come in the flesh. He did not have what you and I have. He did. He couldn't quote the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed. He couldn't. He didn't have. He didn't understand that Jesus was very God of very God, fully in nature God. He didn't understand that. So he had a substandard understanding, but he had enough to know that somehow he is he has is uniquely related to the God of the Jews enough that I'm going to turn to him in faith. In faith. Now what that proves to you and me, this, now this is very important, listen closely. It's not, it is not the amount of faith that you have, but the object of your faith that matters. It is not the strength of your faith that matters, but where you place your faith. It's not the perfection of your faith, but the direction of your faith that matters. Uh, people, you, it's, so people say, oh, I need, I need more faith, I need more faith. Mm, not really. You just need to place what you got in the right spot. Great faith is directing your faith from other objects or other beliefs to Jesus. To Jesus. You see, people say, Frequently, it really doesn't matter what you believe so much as that you believe. It really doesn't matter what faith you have or what religion you're a part of. What matters is that you believe it with all your heart. Sincerely with all your heart. Well, you know, common sense tells us there's some problems with that. Adolf Hitler believed with all his heart. But he believed the wrong thing and it was devastating to this world. We're still trying to recover from the effects of him believing the wrong thing with all his heart. Now, let me illustrate it this way. Let's imagine, we got any rock climbers in here? Yeah, you're like me. I'm not sure it's even biblical. And I'm not sure Jesus is up there with you on the rocks. You know, he said, lo, I'm with you always in the great commission. Maybe that's not what he meant. But let's imagine there are two rock climbers who, who fall and they catch on a ledge so that their feet are hanging off um, hanging off the cliff. You might see the see it in this. Yeah, you're on the whoop. Here I am, and 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 there are only two ways off the ledge. To the right, there's a a rock outcropping over here, and then there's a a rock outcropping over here on the face of the cliff. And one of the climbers says, "I am. I have absolutely no doubt that that's uh, that." will be firm, and that that's the way to go, and this is the way off the cliff. I believe it. I have no doubts. I'm going that way, without a doubt. Well, the other climber on this side said, I'm so frightened, and I'm so unsure. I don't know. It just all looks really shaky to me, but I kind of think I, I kind of think maybe this one, but I, I don't know. I don't know, but I think I'm just going to have to go this direction. And the other first rock climber says, I'm absolutely certain they step onto this rock outcropping. It is unstable. It crumbles, and they fall to their death. The other climber says, oh, with all of my fear, steps on this rock outcropping, find it stable, 
and they are secured. Which one was saved? Was it the one who believed with all their heart? No, it was the one who chose the right rock. It was not their level of faith, their amount of faith that mattered. It was faith in the right object. Jesus is the rock. He is the firm foundation. So how much faith do I need, Pastor? Just enough to turn to Jesus. Just enough to call on Jesus. It reminds me of of the man who who one time came to Jesus. His son was sick. And he said, oh Lord, heal my son. And and Jesus said, well, I'll, I'll heal him if you believe. And he said, oh, I do believe. Help my unbelief. He didn't believe at all. All he believed was enough to maybe ask you, just maybe, Jesus, would you heal him? Boom, he healed him anyway. He put his faith in the right rock. Reminds me of that great hymn, the third verse of the great hymn, Just As I Am. It's going to be on the screen. Sing it with me. Ready? Here we go. Just as I am, though tossed about with many a conflict, many a doubt, fightings within and fears without, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Leave that on the screen a second. Look at it. See what that? What kind of faith you got? I'm all tossed about by my faith. I got conflicts. I don't know for sure. I got all kind of doubts. I'm all fighting within on this. I'm I'm afraid without, but O Lamb of God, I come. Boom! Great faith. You're saved. My friend Al Holly wrote the little song. I sing it about once a year to you. Remember? Starts. Faith, 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 just a little bit of faith. Faith, 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 just a little bit of faith. You don't need a whole lot. Just use what you got. Faith, 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 just a little bit of faith in the right object. Jesus, just trust Him. Pray with me. Do it now. Do it now. Everybody believes something. And all of those beliefs require a measure of faith. I think the evidence is that Jesus is the solid rock. I'm asking you to take your step of faith in the direction of Jesus. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, just admit, Lord, I'm a sinful person. I am broken inside. I need you. I need you. I have fears. I still have doubts. My eyes are darting in every direction for another option. But there's just enough of faith in me that I'm going to trust. I'm going to take the step of faith toward you to forgive my sins. I give you myself. I give you my past. I give you my present. I give you my hope for eternity. To the best of my understanding, I give myself to you. Thank you. Lord, thank you that you made a way for us. We thank you for your promises that they are sure. And we say yes and amen to you.
And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Dogwood Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message. For more information and other sermons, visit dogwood.church. If you'd like to give to Dogwood Church, you can use your smartphone and text keyword dogwood to 779-77 or click the Give link online. You can now download the Dogwood Church app for Apple and Android devices for podcast, video, and more.